welcome to Archive Treasures, where we delve into the collection of the Trentham and Districts Historical Society to see what treasures we can discover. Each episode of Archive Treasures, we will be speaking to a member from the Historical Society. They will be telling us about something special, an object that has been preserved as part of the archival collection, an interesting event that occurred, or a project that the Society is undertaking. Archive Treasures is produced on Jajawarong country. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional owners, and we would also like to extend our respects to their elders, both past and present. Trentham Historical Society Recorder, number 12, March 1989. Published monthly by the Trentham Historical Society. P.O. Box 11, Trentham, 3458. All contributions, whether letters, notes or longer articles, are welcome. Address all correspondence to the editor. Trentham Historical Society meets at 8pm on the third Monday of each month, excluding January, June and August. At the Mechanics Hall, High Street, Trentham, all welcome. Membership fee is $7 per year, which includes annual subscription to the recorder. President, Councillor D.P. Drummond. Vice-President, Diane Parsons. Secretary-Treasurer, Kathy Hill. Editor, Peter Parsons. Trentham Historical Society Recorder, Volume 1, Number 3, February 1988. George Hammond's Trentham Photographs, 1900 to 1908. There were no instamatic cameras in the early years of the century. Just one photograph cost considerable labour, and so it is not surprising that photographers in small country towns before the First World War were rare. George Hammond of Trentham, however, had an inquiring mind and an aptitude for mastering new technologies. He first worked for Billy Norton, the draper, but later became a toolmaker at Truella Brothers Foundry. In his youth, he was born at Tilden in 1881, he became a skilful photographer. He equipped himself with a whole plate camera that made six and a half by eight and a half glass negatives and set up a darkroom at the back of his house on the corner of Bowen and Camp Streets. Perhaps the majority of glass plates made in the early years of photography have not survived to the present time. Indeed, most of George Hammond's were thrown down a well after his death. Fortunately, George's son, Frank Hammond, was able to preserve a number of them. As near as can be determined, the 14 whole-plate negatives were made after 1900 and before George's marriage in 1908. They are of the dry-plate type, having well-defined borders. This type was first used in Australia in August 1880. Four of the plates are in pieces, two having small pieces missing and two missing about half. There is the odd crack, bubble or hole in the emulsion but generally they are in excellent condition for their 80 years. They are pin-sharp, well-exposed and well-developed, with two exceptions. 
viewing the prints taken from the plates is like waking up in Trentham or Blackwood 80 years ago. The sun shines. A fresh breeze flutters clothing. A horse shakes its head. Life is frozen for a moment. The plates include views of the railway and cosmopolitan hotels in Trentham, the Blackwood Hotel and Mail Coach, and three other Blackwood views, two Trentham stores and the railway station, an unidentified sawmill, a smithy, thought to be Jay Hayes, Toomey's house, and two groups of people, one at the falls. These images are of such interest that some means should be found to make them accessible to the public. Trentham Historical Society Recorder, number 10, November 1988. Closer settlement in the Trentham district. The Trentham landscape was transformed from one of sheep run and forest to one of small farms and ringbark tree skeletons by two waves of selectors in 1857-58 and 1871-72. As the 1850s progressed, no doubt the population increased also. Gold was discovered at Blackwood in December 1854, triggering a rush. One of the main routes thence, once used by Culp Co. from 1855, ran from Melbourne via Woodend, the future site of Tilden, Ogden's Inn and the old Blackwood Road. Other publicans and storekeepers arrived. Mining in Ballarat, Creswick, Dalesford and Blackwood created a demand for timber for structural purposes and fuel. Sawmills began to proliferate in the forest. Splitters and other timber workers and their families appeared. In 1855, a Coliban River survey was made. The Woodside area was divided into parishes, including Trentham and Tilden, within the county of Dalhousie. This followed the colonial government's policy of dividing land into parishes of around 30 square miles within larger units called counties, defined by natural features. The survey noted the existence of Ogden's Inn, Dover Castle, Francis, Craig's, Dixon's Tent, Murphy's, Cook's, Hutchison and Sawmill on the Coliban near the falls. Ogden's Inn, Dover Castle and Dixon's Tent are fairly obviously public houses. Craig's, Murphy's and Cook's could also be public houses. Francis and Hutchison could refer to the dwellings of these individuals, and the sawmill is probably Enders. In April 1857, surveyor John Wigglesworth divided the southern section of Woodside into 23 lots, ranging from 99 to 505 lots, as mentioned above. The southern boundary of this piece of land was defined by a line, probably determined by the location of Ogden's Inn, later Forest Hotel, on the northwestern corner of the Pearsons Road, Kyneton, Trentham Road intersection, running east-west from the present Pig and Whistle to the Stony Creek near the Truella Foundry. The northern boundary was a parallel line two miles to the north. The eastern boundary was irregular. From George Truella, Early History of Trentham District. Typescript, Trentham, 1957, page 3. 
At present, we have no information on the nature of the agriculture practiced by these selectors, whether they were genuine farmers or speculators, nor indeed anything about them. It is possible, however, that some of these farms supplied the Blackwood diggings with food. The market created by the rush at Blackwood may well have stimulated the survey and the wave of selection. The growing population concentrated into settlements. Tilden, on the junction of the Kyneton and Woodend roads to the Blackfield goldfields, was surveyed and the first allotment sold on the 11th of April 1860. A township for the parish of Trentham was required. Common sense suggested that it be on non-auriferous ground to avoid interference with mining operations. In 1864, Arthur F. Walker surveyed garden and building lots in the parish of Trentham, possibly having selected the site himself. In addition to being on non-gold-bearing ground, the site also had the advantages of being on the route to Blackwood and was well watered by the Stony and Trent creeks to the west and east, but high and dry in wet weather. On the 29th of December, 1864, the first town allotments were auctioned at the courthouse. Presumably, the requirement for law and order was such that a police camp and legal apparatus had been installed before the town even existed as such. The site was probably that of the existing police station, and following the precedent of Ballarat, Dalesford, and other Victorian gold towns, the adjacent street was named Camp Street. The demand for lots was slow. Only three allotments were sold on this day, but this was later to change at the 1866 and 68 sales, perhaps due to the influx to the Blue Mount and Garlic's lead diggings. Paddy Murphy bought allotment 4, section 8, where he built his commercial hotel. It is possible to conjecture that he is the Murphy referred to in the 1855 Coliban River Survey and that his public house operated on this site before the township survey. The site is on a slight bend in High Street that appears to have no other explanation than to pass by the front door of the commercial hotel. If this is indeed the site of a public house prior to survey, the most likely explanation of its siting is that, like Ogden's Inn, it was placed on the actual track to the diggings used by miners and coaches. From here, the track is probably marked by Cosmo Road and the old Blackwood Road. The alternative route, Blue Mount Road, would have had no apparent reason for existence until the Blue Mount diggings got underway in the middle 1860s. Only two other lots were purchased at the first auction sale. They went to George McPherson and were immediately to the east of Murphy's Hotel. George Truella states that a mining plan in his possession dated the 11th of April 1862, mentions McPherson's store and the closed forest diggings. It is possible that the store stood on one of the lots purchased by him. In any case, his store was on this site in later years, and it was, in addition, the Trentham Post Office, until it was moved to its present location in 1928. At the sale of Trentham Town allotments at Tilden, and in 1866 and 68, most of the lots in the central part of the township were sold. This may reflect the increased economic activity of the area following the gold finds at Simmons Reef, Barry's Reef and Blue Mount. 
Included in the names of purchasers are a number of storekeepers and citizens to become prominent in subsequent years. Meanwhile, local government was developing. In August 1859, the Tilden and Trentham Road Board was formed to improve the roads of these parishes. Road boards were locally elected and empowered by Act of Parliament to collect rates from landowners and impose tolls on roads. On the 10th of January 1865, the Shire of Kyneton was proclaimed. You're listening to Archive Treasures. Each episode, we dig deep to find treasures from within the archives. Trentham Historical Society Recorder, Volume 1, Number 9, October 1988. Early Newspapers and Trentham, a talk by Graham Orr. Councillor Graham Orr of Bellato was guest speaker at the Society's September meeting. For more than 12 months, Councillor Orr has been combing the back issues of the Dalesford Advocate, Herald and the Trentham Gazette, held by the Dalesford Historical Society, for items on Trentham. It was mandatory until the 1940s, said Councillor Orr, for councils to keep copies of their local papers. The Dalesford collection was neglected. Copies had been damaged. Some were missing altogether. About six or seven years ago, their value was recognised and the Dalesford and Glenlyon Shire Council and the Dalesford Historical Society decided to have them rebound. There was no trouble in getting sponsors to defray the cost. The Dalesford Advocate incorporated the Trentham Chronicle. Mr Brian Bateman, a Dalesford Historical Society member, has gone through the collection and extracted all the Trentham references, and Councillor Orr presented the Trentham Historical Society with a copy of Mr Bateman's notes. One of the earliest Trentham references was to a public meeting held in 1868, which resolved to request the government to grant no more mining licences because of the disruption of agriculture. 120 years later, the conflict has still not been resolved. Other reports included a three-year-old boy lost for three days at Barry's Reef, found by black trackers in 1887. A surveyor called in to get rid of a lagoon of green water in High Street, a meeting to discuss the succeeding of Trentham from the Kyneton Shire in 1888, the finding of nuggets of gold in the Newbury-Blackwood area in 1893, and the inability of the unemployed, sent from Melbourne, to find any work. A football match in 1925 in which Trentham defeated Kyneton, the Trentham Talkies programme for the 6th of November 1936 was Naughty Marietta and Laurel and Hardy. Tickets, one and six, children, ninepence. A fight in High Street, the introduction of a new telephone exchange in 1936, the need for consideration for local industries, a drunken madman and a woman dressed in ferns who chopped down a house in Newbury, a plane crash near Trentham in 1937, the defeat of the Prices referendum and the foreshadowing of television in 1948. Councillor Orr made it clear that there was an abundance of material in the Dalesford newspaper collection and his work in showing some of what was available 
was greatly appreciated by members. Trentham Historical Society Recorder, Volume 1, Number 3, February 1988. A House of All Nations, the Cosmopolitan Hotel. Of all parts of the world, free from national limitations, is one dictionary definition of the word cosmopolitan. Chosen to express Joseph Bickley's policy of catering for all at his Cosmopolitan Hotel. In 1865, Joseph Bickley bought the block on the corner of Cosmo Road and High Street, Trentham, on which the Cosmopolitan Hotel still stands, and commenced building. Bickley had been a wealthy man when he came out from England and took up a number of business interests in the Trentham district. His mining ventures were unsuccessful, however, and his fortunes later declined. Not content with makeshift building methods, Bickley used bricks in the construction of his house, still standing on the Tilden Road, and in the hotel. The method he adopted in the Cosmopolitan's construction is unusual in Australia. The spaces between the timber studs were filled with bricks, even on the second storey, and then lined inside and clad with weatherboards externally. The timber frame with brick, rubble or wattle and daub infill is a centuries-old European building method, and this, together with the need for thermal and sound insulation, perhaps inspired the choice of method. In recent decades, the timber frame infill technique has had a resurgence of favour with mud-brick house construction. The Cosmopolitan was built in stages. The front bar on the Cosmo Road corner was built first. The veranda area outside is paved with cream and brick earthenware tiles, laid in a checkerboard pattern that may have come from the same source as the bricks. The former brickworks at the Gluepot Bridge on the Trentham Kyneton Road has been suggested as the source. The billiard room was built next. It contained an eight-legged, hand-carved alcock and pierce table, one of the biggest they made. The slates weighed more than one tonne. Walter Lindrum is said to have played an exhibition game on it. The big room was the next stage, fronting High Street. It housed J.T. Hall's General Store and William Kelly's Butchery. These shops were operating from at least 1891 and 1881 respectively, until at least around the middle of the 1900s. The photographs below show the shop's handwares and presumably the proprietors. Eventually, there were 30 rooms in the Cosmopolitan, five of them upstairs. Joseph Bickley seems to have been a man of some vision. In addition to his Cosmopolitan outlook, he ensured that the hotel would be fairly self-sufficient. Fowls, two or three cows and pigs were kept. The pigs were killed and cured on the premises. An extensive orchard was established. Pears, apples, quinces, cherry and damson plums, gooseberries and nuts provided fresh fruit, jams, preserves and the like. Business affairs kept Bickley away from the day-to-day running of the hotel. This was left to his daughter and son-in-law, William Byrne, who held the licence until his death. It then passed over to Mrs Byrne, who held it for the next 42 years. Upon Mrs Byrne's death, the Cosmopolitan was run by her daughters, 
Mrs. Maud and Florrie Byrne, until the licence was withdrawn when it was decided that the district did not need so many pubs. Soft drinks were sold for another two years or so, and then the Cosmopolitan Hotel finally ceased trading. Mrs. Byrne Sr. is remembered as a strict woman who could clear the bar in a hurry when she wanted to. True to its name, the Cosmopolitan catered for diverse groups and activities. Its stables, later partly destroyed by fire, held fresh horses for the Cobb Co. coach run between the Blackwood diggings and Ballarat. They were also used during the two or three days of the annual race meeting at the old Trentham Racecourse. At times like this, as many as 200 people would be fed at one shilling a head. Police magistrates from Castlemaine stayed at the Cosmopolitan while on their circuit. The hotel held a contract to deliver them to and from the Blackwood diggings. The diggings also received supplies from the Cosmopolitan, driven down by Maud and Florrie's cousin, Bert Byrne. Bert had lost the lower part of one leg in a horse accident and got around quite well with a wooden leg. I bet I can do something you can't do, he used to say to the occasional stranger to the pub. Then he would take a knife and casually stab himself in the wooden leg before their astonished eyes. Once a month, the visiting dentist from Dalesford set up his surgery in the billiard room. The Freemasons held their meetings at the Cosmopolitan for a long time before they had a place of their own. No breach of the licensing laws was ever recorded against the Cosmopolitan licensees. Bilburn, the original licensee, came close to it one time, however. He had been entertaining the local policeman Lombard. Lombard had had a few too many and announced that he would lock up old Bill. Bill went along with him pretending to be drunk. When Lombard opened the lock-up door, Bill dodged behind him, pushed him in and locked the door. Lombard was let out the next morning. Most of the material for this article was supplied by Mr Liz Byrne of Trentham. Information was also provided by G. Truella's Early History of Trentham District, unpublished typescript, Cosmopolitan Hotel Business Documents of the 1880s and 90s, courtesy of Mr Bruce Mackenzie, and the George A. Hammond Collection of Trentham and Blackwood Photographs, 1900-1908, courtesy of Mr Frank Hammond, written by Peter Parsons. You have been listening to Stories from Within the Archives. I'm Rosie Hill, and this is Archive Treasures. If you would like to hear further episodes, you can find our podcasts on our website, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the Podbean app. Archive Treasures is produced by the Trentham and Districts Historical Society. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to hs at trentham.org.au or go to our Facebook page, Trentham and Districts Historical Society, Australia. I hope you can tune in next time for more Archive Treasures. Archive Treasures